You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Platinum Group Metals have been in sharp focus recently. Palladium has gone through the roof and Rhodium has done the same thing and Platinum has now started to rise. But anyway, the overall basket is doing extremely well. And many people that I've spoken to recently have said that the Platinum Group Metal producers in South Africa in particular are rather not undervalued, but certainly present some sort of value. With me now is Unati Loss who is a portfolio manager at 91 in, in Cape Town. It seems to me, Unati, that there is still a compelling argument for PGMs. Hi, Lindsay. Yes, no, I agree. Um, I think you are correct in the sense that our view is that if you look at the current valuations and where the PGM basket prices are and are asked for prices, there seems to be quite a lot of upside um, from valuation. I don't know if you want to talk about individual companies, but I look at the graphs of certain companies and some are well below their highs of a few years ago. And I think to myself, well, okay, the rand is strong, so maybe that's holding them back. But the actual PGM basket, in other words, the basket of prices of all the white metals is at such an elevated level that maybe the shares are lagging. Am am I being too simplistic? Definitely not. Um, if you look at the sort of year-to-date sort of price uh, performance from the basket itself, it's definitely outperformed what the shares have done. Um, and if you try and sort of extrapolate or work out from where um, the expectations for earnings are, you'll see that actually we haven't seen the same rate of re-rating in the share prices um, for the PGM stocks as one would expect. I think the market is slightly cautious. I think the market is definitely um, putting in lower basket prices going forward. And there might be a few reasons for that. Um, I think as you've alluded to, you have seen a very steep increase. You look at rhodium, you look at palladium, they really are at very elevated levels. Um, But our view, we think that actually, you might actually see a stronger rotation, a bigger rotation into platinum itself. And so you could see a situation where the overall basket price remains high, despite the fact that um, palladium or rhodium might trend lower. So what you're saying is that there may be that um, fabled substitution play going on at the moment. I mean, obviously, a car manufacturer, for example, can't just suddenly say, OK, I don't want to put palladium in my catalytic converter. I want to put platinum in it now. It takes a, it takes a long time to convert uh, from a, an engineering point of view. But it seems to me that that might be happening because palladium still at an elevated level. But palladium is, as I said, sort of flattening out while platinum goes through the roof. And when I say go through the roof, I'm tempering my enthusiasm, but it's certainly risen 20, 25% quite recently. Definitely. If you talk to the likes of BSF um, and all the other catalyst um, manufacturers, they are trying to convince OEMs or your car manufacturers to substitute um, our palladium into platinum where possible. Uh, but what we understand is that the uptake has been a lot slower. And the reason for that is simply because all your car manufacturers are more focused on the revolution towards electric vehicles um, rather than tinkering or changing their recipe when it comes to the catalyst. So that's the one side of it. Um, but there's definitely money and support that's coming through from your mining companies themselves, the, the likes of Amplats and Northern, etc. Um, they are trying to encourage OEMs to do the switch um, towards um, using more, more, more platinum in the place of palladium. Whatever it is, the, the basket itself, because uh, we used to call them platinum producers, but now, of course, we call them PGM producers, platinum group metal producers. The, the basket is going up, whether it switches from one to the other, whether it be rhodium taking the lead, platinum or palladium or any the other smaller metals. The fact is, everything is doing very nicely at the moment. Which of the producers that you invest in in your strategies is the one that can take advantage of an overall rise in the basket? Which, which are your favourites? 
Mm-hmm. I think uh, maybe before I go there, just I think something else that's worth worth highlighting in terms of our sort of positive stance towards platinum itself is the fact that, as you'll remember, Lindsay, no one has spent any capex or money um, towards increasing supply. Um, everyone had long talked about the supply cliff that's coming towards the South African um, PGM mining sector, and all of that obviously is becoming quite real now. Um, there's quite a lot of optimism around platinum when it comes to the emerging hydrogen um, economy, um, and platinum could play a role, uh, a role there. So there are potentially new applications for platinum. And so I think that's something that we need to be mindful of as well: the fact that supply is incredibly constrained um, over the next over the next coming years without any money that's going towards um, expanding um, supply at exactly at a time where there might be new potential demand, particularly for platinum. So I think that's important. Uh, just before you go and on, so, so what you're saying, is, I'm, I'm just thinking the three Ps now. So a perfect PGM play uh, coming up. In other words, supply constraint because people are not investing and a demand that could take on all different forms, if you like, which is what you just said. Correct. Um, and that's really, I think, that's what, what's, what's the excitement behind it. So, uh, and, and, and it spreads to the full basket. Like if you remember, for example, for these miners, it doesn't really matter to them whether it's platinum, palladium or rhodium, but obviously they would prefer it if it was, uh, if it was platinum because when they take it out of the ground, 60% of, um, of, of the production is actually platinum. So it makes sense for them to make sure that the surplus in the platinum market is actually eroded over the coming years. Again, just for the layman like myself, it's a platinum mine, but uh, palladium and rhodium and iridium and all those other things come out as a byproduct to the main metal, which is platinum. Correct. Yeah. And so if you look at, uh, so if you look at sort of, uh, the sort of um, uh, preference that we have, obviously, we've got to look at um, the, the three major ones that we've got here in South Africa, being obviously Impala, Anglo-American Platinum, and they really are very different companies. Um, if you think about the sort of outlook for them, and I'll, I'll actually throw Northern in there as well. Um, Northern is the one with all the growth opportunities because they've, they've spent a little bit of money uh, trying to, uh, to sort of mechanize mining um, technologies. Uh, but obviously, they've got a little bit more debt that they're trying to, 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 pay, to pay back. So that's, that's when I'll probably put lowest on sort of our sort of rankings. Um, and right at the top for us um, is a company like Impala. Um, we think that Impala has done a great job. Obviously, you know, the sort of near-death experience they had um, um, of, of a few years ago. Prices have helped, but over and above that, I think they are delivering on their, um, on their strategy to, to turn around the Rustenburg leaf area. Um, and that's starting to come through. Okay, and Paul is an interesting one as well. What about the, the Zimbabwe operation? I mean, let's go away from South Africa for a moment. Is that not the elephant in the room, but is that an unknown, if you like? Well, certainly. Obviously, there are risks there, if you, particularly if you consider where the fiscal situation of the government is. There's always worries that why not then nationalize um, those mining operations. Um, but I think if you look at the contribution that that mine makes in terms of employment, or it makes in terms of royalties and taxes that it pays to the country, um, it does not seem to us that there is any logical reason why those operations would be at risk. And certainly up until now, we stay very close to this in terms of talking to management. Um, they have been able to, uh, to externalize their profits and the cash that's coming out of there. Um, there, there are no issues um, from where we currently stand. Okay, you mentioned Impala. What about Anglo-American Platinum? Is that, is that too big and too cumbersome for you? Or, or do you also like that one? We also like that one, and we also hold that in our portfolios as well. I mean, the Anglo-American definitely the quality play in the sector. It's you know very mechanised, very good margins, very well very well run operations, um, and they've. 
definitely done all the right things. And so we're not too worried about, about that. But in terms of gearing to prices, obviously, um, your Impalas and your Sibanias give you more leverage. Um, and so when prices are going up, we definitely want to own the lower quality stocks in inverted commas and being an Impala and a Sibania versus your higher quality sort of Anglo plants. I mean, Anglo plants is exciting because the cash flows that are coming out of there are going to be exceptionally good. And chances are they'll probably be out a special dividend. So there's a strong underpin for Anglo-American platinum, but it certainly doesn't give you as much leverage to price as the other. Sibania Stillwater is an interesting one because of its geographical diversification and the fact that it's a company that not only produces PGMs. What's your attitude towards that? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so Sibania is a bit is a bit tricky um, in the sense that if you look at even the share performance, um, sometimes it's not entirely sure if it's moving up with the PGM plate or if it's moving up with the gold stocks because you remember it still has a, a, a substantial exposure to to the gold sector. I think the, the that remains a bit of an issue around Sibania in terms of market caution is that we know that it's a growing business. We know that it's a business that's looking to continue its diversification strategy, both geographically as well as in terms of metals. Um, so there's always worries about the fact that now the cash flows are extremely good, which they are, given where the basket prices are, but also given where gold price um, is currently. There's a risk that they might start looking at a more um, acquisition targets, either in the gold space or in uh, battery metals. Um, and, 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 and the CEO, Chief um, Operating uh, Executive Officer, has already spoken about his ambitions in that direction as well. Um, and I think that sometimes becomes a bit of a drag on the stock, on the share price, um, because investors worry that they may not see the cash coming back in the form of dividends but will rather be spent for, for acquisition to further diversify the business. Just finally, before I go on to a very general last question, I'll just continue with the stocks themselves. Are there any fringe players, any of the smaller ones that you say, okay, it's only going to be a small part of our strategy, uh, but it does offer really good gearing and uh, is poised for greatness? Any of the smaller players? Yeah, um, Royal Buffer King Platinum, um, RB Platts. I mean, it's a small stock, um, but it really is obviously very leveraged geared to um, to the PGM basket price. They have big projects or capital expenditure that they've overtaken over the last few years. So you've got volume growth that's coming through for that stock. They're over the peak, and so you're starting to see cash flows improving out of there. Top of the volume growth with high basket prices, um, it is one that I would add to my portfolio, um, definitely from a small cap side of things. Any chance within the commodity basket, and I'm t- not talking about the PGM basket now, I'm talking about, for example, something that I've been talking about a lot recently, and that's the Commodity Research Bureau Thomson Reuters Index, which has got everything from, from wool to platinum group metals, for example. Any chance that we're in a commodity super cycle, and that this, this could go on for quite a while now, because it's been going on since... April, May of last year. So we're almost a year into a cycle that has almost seen a basket of commodities worldwide, no matter what they are, double. What do you think? It's a very interesting question. So the way we look at it, we've looked at all the different um, commodities and sort of uh, look back in terms of where were their previous highs. And you will see by and large that most of them have gone beyond their five-year highs. If you look at what copper prices are at over $8,000 a month, I mean, their previous peak was at 10000 That was in the height of the super cycle in the early 2000s and the early 2000s. If you look at what iron ore prices are currently as well, um, they're not at the sort of uh, $180 per ton that they reached at the previous uh, peaks, but they're very close um, and, and have been marching towards that direction as well. There are some uh, commodities that have lagged. Um, obviously, oil being one of them, it's not quite where, where it was at the previous um, uh, peak. But I think what's different with this cycle versus the last one is that you don't have the fundamental drivers in demand um, that you saw with the previous super cycle, where China was busy industrializing. So there was a lot of demand. Here, there's a lot of it that 
I suppose, being driven by liquidity. There's lots of money out there. Um, mm. and so the reflation trade is back on. Um, and at the fringe, yes, the U.S. is talking about infrastructure spend. Yes, China stimulated a bit more last year to help things along. Um, but fundamentally, are we likely to see the same rollout uh, of infrastructure that we saw the last of the cycle? I don't think so. Um, electric vehicles might help, but it's not quite as big um, as, as what we saw previously. So I think liquidity is probably driving um, 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 a little bit of what we see now, obviously, with, with, the, with the supply disruptions that we've seen as a result of COVID, keeping, making the markets incredibly tight as well. Unati, thanks so much for your insight. That's Unati Luos, who's a portfolio manager at 91, based in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.